Hey everyone, this is Race, Justice, and the Church. I'm your host, Nate Winstead. You can follow me at Nate, Knight with a K, wins. Today, we're talking with Elizabeth Louie. I am really excited because Libby is on the mic. Hi. Hi, Libby. Hi, Nate. <laughs> Libby, uh, for a long time, was my uh, workmate or co-worker, whatever, at the Gathering in Harlem, and she sat right beside me, and now we're doing this podcast, and she's sitting right beside me in her desk, just like normal. So nostalgic. But anyway, Libby is great. Um, Libby is a New York City native, born and raised in Fresh Meadow, Queens. Fresh Meadows? Yeah. It sounds very nice. Yeah. It's it full it's of like, meadows? It sounds very and, suburban. But it's not, right? It is a little bit. I describe it as a suburbia of Queens. There's no subways in the area, so you have to take oh, a bus from okay. the subway to get there. Interesting. It's a little suburban. Are there meadows anywhere? Um, There are parks, which you can call meadows. Oh, okay. Some of them have unmowed grass, Great. which could make it a meadow. Great. <laughs> uh, so Libby is an early childhood educator with a specialization in special ed um, and like I said, until recently, she was the kids team director at the Gathering Harlem. And this year, she, she started teaching her own pre-kindergarten class at the world-renowned Harlem Children's Zone. Uh, Libby is Chinese-American and grew up in a Chinese church environment um, before joining the Gathering. And Libby and I... Um, oh, I already said this, so I'll cut that out. <coughs> um, yeah, so... <laughs> Sometimes I joke that I'm the only white guy at the gathering, um, which Libby is like nodding her head, yes. You're probably not the only one that jokes that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, if you don't know, the gathering is predominantly black, um, but Libby could probably say that she is the same. She's probably the only Asian person many times at the gathering. Um, Anyway, so I'm excited to talk to her all about it. Yay. (laughs) So... (laughs) Welcome, Libby, to Thank the you. podcast. Um, how did you How did you hear about the gathering? How did you get connected to the church? Um, through Facebook. So really, a friend. So not Instagram, because now most people say Instagram. Right. Um, but it was back in the day when Facebook was very cool, and <laughs> I. It was during a period where I was church hopping, mm-hmm. and so I was looking for other churches while still going to my old church because I was still serving. Um, and I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw a friend of mine liked the gathering or the gathering Harlem. And I was like, Oh, what's the gathering Harlem? I live in Harlem. So that sounds interesting. So I click it and I see it's a church and I look it up and I see it's not too far from where I live. So I made a mental note to visit it and Mm -hmm. I did. Oh yeah. And it was great. Did you love it right away? Yeah. So it was, I found out, so I initially found it through Facebook, but then later I found out that I had mutual friends with Pastor Kenny um, oh. and through someone that he knows from Redeemer City to City, who's now the new pastor at my old church. Um, wow. So crazy how things work out there. And of yeah. course, the guy that I, um, that liked the gathering on Facebook, he's friends with Kenny as well. 
Um, does he go to the gathering? No, he does not. Oh. <laughs> um, he's just another person um, that I know is a very stand-up Christian ah. and someone that really cares about social justice. So I saw that if he had liked the gathering, then the gathering must be a place that also stands for social justice. Ah. Um, but immediately from when I came, it was shortly after um, the church launched. And so that was when Pastor Kay was still available to meet with people mm. one-on-one. And so it just like blew my mind that the pastor not not you know like an admin person or like someone like much lower mm-hmm. like you know not affiliated with the actual pastor would want to meet with me um and so i met with him and i could immediately tell that he just really cared about people and he cared more about me as a person and a child of god rather than um what i could bring to the table or trying to like pull me into the church yeah ooh that's awesome yeah there's a lot about that i yeah. i just I really love you, Pastor Kenny. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> and people, uh, your likes on Facebook could make a difference. Just a little like, apparently. God can use even that. They matter. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, Libby, I love how, um, just how direct you are about, you know, sharing. This is what I am passionate about. Um and, you know, that you were looking for a church that was, um, you know, passionate about social justice. Um, so, like, I guess my question is, like, why, why was that so important to you when you were looking for uh, a church to be a part of? Um, well, I think for me, social justice is not something that I've really seen the church engage with growing up. And so especially in my home church, I feel like I grew up really sheltered. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was similar to me. So everyone, I grew up in Queens, but I my home church was in Chinatown. And so everyone was predominantly Chinese American second generation, which mm-hmm. means that our parents grew up in America also. Um, and so a lot of me and my friends did not speak Chinese or weren't really connected to culture the same way that immigrant families would be yeah um and we were all middle class so we never really had financial struggles um going to college was never a question it was always like an absolute um Mm. we never had to worry about you know where our next meal was coming from or you know anything that we wanted we could just buy it yeah um and um yeah, everyone was everyone was so similar to me. So I wasn't exposed to issues um, or other perspectives that I just assumed that everyone was like me. Mm-hmm. And so growing up and then meeting new people, whether it be like at college or um, through through different groups of friends, um, I just gained new perspectives. I started volunteering for uh not uh, for an anti-trafficking nonprofit, mm. and that really exposed me to issues of social justice that I really cared about um, and I think those were areas that I just wanted to explore and that was yeah. uh, Nomi Network right yeah good memory Shout oh because we Nomi have Network. we have mutual friends from there also oh yeah yeah oh I've got like a bag from them and some other stuff yeah they're great look them up online buy, buy her bag buy all their stuff not buy her, her bag not her body that's their <laughs> uh, byline but they yeah they work um, towards freeing women from um, sex trafficking through like business initiatives. They they make um, 
bags and different products and you buy them and it helps support them so they have I mean I'm trying I so feel they like have am money I doing to, a good yeah, job yeah. yeah pretty good so that they have um, so that they learn financial independence and financial they become financially literate in ways that they're able to support their family right. so how that so you started working with them um, I must, as you were talking I was like I feel very much like my life was very similar growing up like I grew up in a very white middle class uh, suburban um, area um, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and it was like, yeah, everyone was going to college. It was fine. You never wanted for really anything, um, and yeah. So I just see a little. I mean, I wasn't in a, I wasn't a second generation Chinese American, but um, we had a very similar experience, like in that respect. So, um, and that kind of was going to what I was going to ask you about, like, what was your um, wait? So. Let's go back. You were at Nomi. Um, so I, I still, like, I think of some, um, you know, somebody might, um, you know, be involved in work like that, but might n- still not see it as a priority for, like, something for their church to be about. How, like, how was that different for you? Um, my church because we are so sheltered and I feel like we only cared about issues that related to us or had specific ties to evangelism. We, the church only supported organizations that were explicitly Christian. And mm-hmm. I didn't really agree with that. The, mm. the organization or Nomi network, there were Christians, some of the founders are Christian, mm-hmm. but the organization itself is not Christian. Um, oh, and okay. so that being like a hindrance to, you know, support from a church like mine, that was a little disappointing. Mm, um, okay. And so, you know, supporting only missionaries or, or faith-based soup kitchens, you know, things like that. I right. felt like there was something missing from that. Hmm. And so even though they would support my efforts a little bit, you know, I could always see that it wasn't um, as much as it could have been if it was right. going in line with, like, the things that Jesus talked about. Right. Okay. So it was like, you know, they just had a very a very uh, limited, limited amount of things that they would really get behind. Yeah. 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 I feel yeah. Um, okay. So... I want to, um, I would love for you to, um, share a little bit about just your experience with both in church world as well as in the education world. Um, cause like I said, you, um, are a teacher in a pre-kindergarten class. Um, and I know you've done some other, uh, teaching stuff, but, um, if you could talk about the issue of race and how it has affected you, um, things that you have had to deal with, um, in, in either one of those things, either one of those areas. Um, so I think my, the church that I grew up in, you know, again, Chinese American, we never really discussed race or justice issues. So we just touched on the justice issues, but we never talked about race issues. I think a lot of you know, it being because Asians are a model minority, um, we're not 
in the news Ooh. a lot. Could you, what does that mean? A model minority? Um, model minority as in, um, you know, the things that we're known for are not the same things that, you know, other, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, you know, like Asians, like stereotypes wise, like we Asians are known for being very smart, very hardworking, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, not a lot of crime is committed by Asians. So model minority in terms of like, I guess, contributions to society, our mm. contributions are seen as higher than the contributions of other minorities. Wow. Okay. I feel like you could answer that also. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, I think you're getting at it. Like that phrase is, um, yeah, it's all the like unconscious stuff in the back of people's brains um, that, uh, you know, when they see someone of a certain ethnicity, they immediately assume, you know, all these things. And um, so would you like, you know, if someone, um, yeah, the the kind of stereotype is that, you know, Asians are good at math and, you know, they're going to, they play the violin and the piano and, uh, you know, are going to college. I did play piano, but I was not very good at it. (laughs) Okay. But that, are you talking about that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I think because like, because we're a model minority, it gave us the opportunity to be apathetic about issues of race because Mm. there weren't a lot of race issues that we as Asians had to deal with. Um, Mm. And I think a lot of cultures just, you know, naturally gravitate towards, towards issues that only have to do with them. So this is something that your podcast is trying to achieve by like opening, um, you know, white church leaders to other issues. But I think overall it's an issue that all races struggle with to address issues outside of their own. Um, And so we never discussed race issues. Um, And so that was especially challenging when um, mass shootings started to increase. Mm. And I knew that our church wouldn't address it. Um, Even sometimes I would hope that, it would be addressed and then I'd go to church and get disappointed because Mm. it would just be like regular programming as if nothing had happened. And so that was difficult to deal with alone because I didn't know how to respond to those things as a Christian. Um, And it was especially Mm. difficult knowing that if it was a shooting of Asians, then it would be a really heavily, I'm sure it would have been discussed. A huge deal. Yeah. Right. Wow. Um, and then, so now going to a predominantly black church where I'm the minority, um, it's really, it's really been eye opening to me. Um, and I've been able to learn a lot of new perspectives and get involved in conversations regarding the importance of representation for black people in conversations like, um, black Panther and when they see us, Mm. which has been really cool. Um, but unfortunately I know that as much as it's being talked about in my black circles, it's not being talked about in my Asian circles Mm. the same way that my black circles don't really understand why movies like crazy rich Asians or always be my maybe are important to the Asian community. And on top of that, knowing that predominantly white churches are probably talking about neither of those issues. Oh man, Libby, you're dropping all kinds of great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Uh, yeah, um, I just want to shout you out for putting yourself in uh, to be the minority um, in a whole church. Um, it 
definitely it absolutely changes the way you see things, the things that you pay attention to. I mean, you know, just talking about all those movies. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and it's like you don't you, you're not even aware of certain things just because, you know, your circles don't care about it, don't talk about it, aren't like in it. So, um, right. I like, cause I, I can see because I'm part of Asian circles and black circles. Now I can see that when movies like black Panther were coming up, it's all my black friends talking about mm -hmm. it. And the movies like when crazy rich Asians come out, it's all my Asian friends talking about yeah. it. So as an Asian person, I see the importance of supporting movies like black Panther. So I went to go see that twice. And I have a friend who's black, um, who saw the importance of crazy rich Asians and went to go see that movie three times. And so I thought, mm. I think things like that supporting in that way is really cool, but ideally in like, a, you know, an amazing world, you know, more people would be going to support movies of minorities that are outside of themselves. Sure. Yeah. Oh man. I still haven't seen crazy rich Asians. <laughs> so not a great example, <laughs> but I did see the other one always, always be my maybe. Yeah. That is a really good movie. Yeah. I, it represents I mean, the Asian American experience very well. It does? Yeah. Because it's such a, I mean, it's a rom-com for sure. It is. If you watch the movie with me, I'll show you. Fun. I enjoy I can it. tell you which things are specifically like very Asian American oh. versus Asian immigrant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to do that. Um, so, okay. So I want to... Um, you you talked about um, a, you know a lot of your experience being in, in um, you know different church spaces. How um, just kind of the same question like how has race been a a reality in the education world? Um, you know New York City is the largest public school system in the United States for sure. I don't know about the world, but it's something like two million kids are just in the public school system. Um, two million is what I said. Two million people, children are in the public school system. And then, um, you know, then there's charter schools and private schools and the rest of them. Um, obviously New York city is a very diverse place, but, um, New York city still has, uh, a very segregated school system. Mm -hmm. Um, those are the, those are like big stuff. Uh, you know, at a, a 10,000 feet or whatever, but, um, so, so just all of that to give context, but like, what has your experience been like in the, in the education world? Yeah. Um, so I think a little bit more context, I think like as an Asian American, I live in a lot of tension and I live in this gap of not having the same privileges as a white person, mm. but not having faced discrimination to the extent of black or brown people mm -hmm. and so often like getting left out of conversations on race and discrimination because of uh because Asians are model minority and mm. so living in that tension I had to deal with that in my first school that I taught in because I taught like you mentioned as diverse as New York is there are there is still a lot of segregation so the first school that I worked in was in a predominantly Asian community um and a lot of my students were Asian immigrants, uh, and a oh, handful wow. a, a handful of them were um, what people call satellite babies, 
not a lot of people have heard. I have never of heard this. of that. It's essentially when um, it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. But <laughs> it, it's I'm sure not it's not really. Not what um, I'm it's basically it's basically when um, when a child. Um, when a child's parents don't have the means to provide from for them in the states, or don't have mm-hmm. either either the time or the money, or you know for whatever reason, so they get sent back to China or wherever wherever they're from to live with, let's say their grandparents mm-hmm. until it's time for them to go to school, and then they move back to the states and start school. Oh wow! So, so it's a really it's it's really it could be a little traumatic for children because so like they're not used to living with their parents. Right. They've never gone to school. And they've, um, been they've in never lived right whole like six years of life or yeah five three years. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Before wow. coming to pre K. Yeah. Um. So that's not an experience that I can relate to. And so having the Wait, majority why satellite because they're like oh uh, i don't know that's just the term orbiting that... the whole planet pretty much yeah maybe i don't <laughs> oh, know okay. i never questioned it um okay <laughs> but yeah so that's not an experience that i can relate to so having a lot of my students um who did have experiences like that or mm-hmm. were just children of immigrants and so they spoke you know chinese was their first language um you know, or their parents didn't understand, needed translators. Those mm. weren't, you know, really things that I could relate to. Having parents come in and expect me to speak Chinese and then oh, me right. having to call over an assistant to be like, hey, sorry, I can't communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. It made me feel really out of place mm. um, because it because I was expected to be a certain way and I right. wasn't. So even with my coworkers, you know, who all were immigrants or children of immigrants, you know, I was often left out of those conversations as well. Um, oh wow! Not not anything malicious, but just mm-hmm. it was noticeable yeah. that I was left out. Um, and so now it's interesting because I'm living in a or I'm living and teaching in a predominantly black neighborhood, and so wow. of course I still <laughs> I still feel out of place. That's a difference. Um, uh-huh. But because it's obvious that I don't fit in. I have high hopes that my being here will be an opportunity for my students to learn new perspectives and grow up to be mm. accepting and even interested in building community with people that look yeah. different than them. Oh, Libby out here making making moves. Trying to. Changing the world. Trying to. Um, so that, that actually makes me think of uh, the school I used to work at, Inwood Academy for Leadership. Um, a number of our students... Uh, we start in fifth grade, you know, they come and they're like literally, you know, fresh off the plane from the Dominican Republic. And, um, you know, some of them don't speak very much English, uh, if any. Um, and it's, you know, it's just amazing to, um, it's amazing to see these kids, uh, like achieve, uh, and, figure it out and and make it um when they when they come with such struggles um and then you know i'm there i don't speak any spanish (laughs) like i i know a few you know words and some lingo here and there unlike you i know libby that you speak spanish (laughs) (laughs) thank you new york city public school (laughs) um but uh, yeah it's like i don't know like i can't help you um you know, I can't help communicate with your, with your parents or, uh, with, um, or just help you in, you know, in daily life at school. 
Um, That's how out of place I feel is that I can communicate better to like the one year that I had a couple of Spanish speaking students. I was able to communicate better with them than when I had all Chinese students. (laughs) Wow. So like your parents, do they speak Chinese at all? They can speak a little bit Chinese, but my mom actually majored in Spanish and was a Spanish professor. And so her Spanish is also better. And so we, yeah, growing up, we never spoke Spanish. My grandpa can even speak English. And my grandma um, is the one that, you know, it's a little bit more broken. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was younger, I could kind of like pick up on a couple of things that they were talking about, like, you know, from context, mm-hmm. but that kind of like died. Yeah. My ability to do that. Yeah. So it was your grandparents that moved from China. Is yeah. Right? My, yeah. Well, both of my grand, both sides of my grandparents or, immigrated. Oh, yeah. Um, my interesting story. Do you know, do you know the story of my last name? No, I don't. Oh, so did you know that it's, did you ever notice that it's not Asian? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's Louis. Yeah, which I believe is an Italian last name. But when my dad's dad immigrated, there was this thing called like the Chinese Exclusion Act. So he had to Mm, um, change his name for a paper. And so he took the name Louis. And I guess they don't, they never, I I don't know. I guess they didn't look at your face when you (laughs) immigrated. And so they came over with the last name Louis and then they, I guess, when immigrants were allowed, they changed it back to their original last name, uh-huh. which is Eng, E-N-G. Um, mm-hmm. But my dad, for whatever reason, kept it. So we're the only family on my dad's side that like has that <laughs> last still name. Has the Louis. Yep. Wow, um, that's amazing. Um, yeah, just to think, your family was directly impacted by the Chinese Exclusion Act. That's crazy i would i that's like wow I'm yeah like i'm used to it but like, it. like sometimes a lot of people get confused oh gosh, and they're like terrible. you don't look white <laughs> <laughs> like no i'm not louis is not uh <laughs> not a chinese last name no oh wow that's that's an amazing story um have you guys always has your family always been in um new york city no, my mom, well, my dad grew up in New York. My mom grew up in Chicago. So I still have oh. some family out in Chicago. Okay. Um, but then my grandparents moved down to Florida. So that's where they are now. Got you. The New York, Florida connection. Yep. Where <laughs> all the retired people go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll go there one day. Would, would you move to Florida? Not to where they're living. No. And it's a little bit too humid. Oh, I mean, and where they live, it's yeah. also kind of boring. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would see I would this is off topic clearly. But yeah, I was going to say what love, does this have to do with race justice or the church? <laughs> well, uh I love the beach. Oh, you do love, love the beach. I would love to go to the beach, but I'm like am I going to want to go to the beach when I'm when I'm super old? I don't know. W- would you settle for a pool? I don't know. The po- a pool is not the same. Uh, I I prefer the pool over the beach. Oh, really? It's less dirty. It is less dirty, that's for sure. But I just love I love the wind and the waves and the sand and I love it. All. The wind is still present when you're at the pool. I guess so. Outdoor pools, at least. There's also alligators down there. All kinds of craziness. 
Yeah. And guns. Everyone has a gun, apparently. Oh. <laughs> yeah, not not in the areas that I was in. Okay. All right, anyway. Yeah, back on track? Back on track. <laughs> um, this will be the part that you have to cut out because... <laughs> Maybe not. This could be the highlight. Just the highlight of the episode. I'm like, oh man, I love I love the beach too. (laughs) I also have grandparents in Florida. It's the place to go. Um, (laughs) So, so the other question I wanted to ask you um, is just the you know the question that I really ask everybody. Um, You know, I'm hoping (laughs) we'll see what my listenership is, but I'm hoping that. You know, my listeners are, you know, probably like me, uh, grew up in a white evangelical church um, and uh, our uh, leaders and pastors, um, friends of mine that uh, I know. And if you could tell if you could tell them anything, um, what would you tell them? There's probably a lot of things, but off the top of my head, I would say if Jesus cared about it, then so should the church. Um, If culture talks about it, the church has to talk about it. Um, a lot of Christians, no, Christians should never be comfortable and should always be wrestling with justice issues of some sort. Mm. And so if the church doesn't take a stand in shepherding their congregations on how to respond to those issues in a Christ-like way, then you leave them to respond to the way that the world does with selfishness and apathy. Ooh. Ooh. So don't do that. (laughs) That's, that's really good. Um, and you know, I think you're spot on with the selfishness or apathy. Um, I mean, I feel like that's what I see online with how people react to things. It's either like I need to defend my tribe kind of deal. And that's, that's what everything is about. Um, or it's, yeah, like who cares? Um, uh, you know, what are you, what, why are you people getting all, you know, riled up about something. Um, and sadly, you know, uh, you know, the church often doesn't give any kind of alternative. Um, and, um, I, I think that we often don't give like a, a continual alternative. I, I'm trying to think of like, I know that uh, every once in a while a church will, um, you know, respond to an issue like, uh, like, a um, police involved shooting or something. They like might have a special panel or something like a one Sunday kind of deal. We're going to talk about it this one Sunday and then kind of never again. Oh, I guess I couldn't even get that much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I've, but sure, sure. Yeah. Um, because it's it's uh, you know constantly a reality in our lives i mean um just with with our world like we are getting news of um real injustices that are happening all the time all around us um we, you know we're exposed to them more um and if the church is only responding to things like once a year or something, if at all, it's, it's not really going to cut it. Um, we have to, we have to engage with things like you said. Yeah. I think speaking from experience, I just see a lot of churches, um, that pick and choose the 
qualities and characteristics of Jesus that they want to emulate. Um, like the easy things Ooh. like being loving and being compassionate and, um, or even challenging people like to be forgiving and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other qualities that are much harder to emulate, like standing up for people and calling people out for the injustices that they're perpetuating. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians and as Christian leaders, we can't pick and choose the easy parts that we want to emulate and say that's enough. We yeah. have to always be striving to do the hard things. Also. I mean, Jesus uh, at the temple, he sat down and made a whip out of cords and drove out all the people and said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand for this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and if you want to learn more about what Jesus was like, you should read emotionally healthy spirituality. <laughs> what is that? A, is that a plug for, uh, for my class? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. Maybe. So, <laughs> Um, at TGH, we just went through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It is a great book, for sure. A life-changing book. Um, why, <laughs> like, why do you connect it with all of this? Um, because that's where I really got that, like, you know, being a Christian is not easy work. And in a lot of ways, mm. if you're going to actually be like Jesus, discipleship looks really messy. And so to be like Jesus, it's going to feel like your life is going to fall apart you are going to create a lot of opposition. People will get angry with you. Mm. Relationships will be harder, but stick with it because that's what discipleship looks like. And so that was really comforting to me in difficult situations of my life where I actually felt like my life was falling apart. And then I read that book and it was like, oh, that's the path of being a disciple. Wow. So, yeah. But church leaders don't really want to engage with topics that are difficult or that, um, you know, which would involve them, you know, taking a stand for mm-hmm. something, maybe because they don't feel confident enough. But if you don't take a stand for something, you'll fall for anything to be very cliche. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that's what a lot of um, church leaders resort to. But doing that would be very contradictory to the nature of Jesus. Yeah, man, I hadn't thought about um, I hadn't thought about that connection between, yeah, emotionally healthy spirituality of um yeah, knowing that it's a, a difficult journey. Um, and I mean, in the book, uh, Pete Scazzaro is just mostly talking about like dealing with your emotions and uh, your family of origin and, um, you know, these kind of internal things. But I mean, you're absolutely right. The issues of the issues that we're, you know, engaging with of uh, race and justice, like these are very emotional uh, <laughs> topics um and you know it's important to exactly what you said you know it's hard work and um yeah you gotta it's gotta come from um you know being able to take a stand for something It, it, it comes from a place of knowing your identity being um being sure of of who you are Um, you know, that's why, that is why Jesus was able to, um, why he was able to speak so boldly to the religious leaders, uh, as well as to, um, you know, the systems of his day, because he knew exactly who he was. Um, you know, he, he had a deep 
uh, relationship with his father, there was nothing, you know, no one else's opinion of him and what he did mattered. It all, the only thing that mattered was um, what the father um, thought of him. So, yeah, I think that's a great connection. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before. And if I could say one more thing mm-hmm. to majority white church leaders, it would be to just like just check yourself if these issues are not something that you're talking about it's fine but you just need to think about like why aren't you talking about it because i think a lot of the reasons why you're not talking about it you know are because of things that we said before about oh um you know we've just naturally been inclinated to address things that only we deal with um Mm -hmm. but after you so it's not wrong that you're you're not aware of it but once you become aware of it like what do you choose to do with that Mm. awareness yeah and that's man you know people ask me and i'm like well you know you just there's not a a, like one answer you've just got to you just need to be aware you need to be engaging with it and you know the the holy spirit will guide you in that but you gotta you gotta take a step you gotta you gotta engage with it yeah and so that's great because that's what your podcast is doing that's what I'm trying to do out here, people <laughs> on this podcast. Um, Libby, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so glad that you're at the gathering. Me too. I'm very sad that we don't work together anymore, but Yeah. We're okay. neighbors. Yeah. You're still you're still very close. Um so where can where can people find you on on the interwebs if they want to follow you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram if you wanna. Um it's Elizabeth with an S. So that's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H and then two underscores and then joy. Oh, double underscores. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was rough creating that name. (laughs) That's actually like I've never heard someone do that, but it seems very because someone had easy. Someone already had that name with one underscore. So I had to add another. Don't follow them. Don't follow Elizabeth underscore joy. Two underscores. Double underscore. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, thanks for joining us. Um, And that's it. See you next time. Bye.